Jesus, it doesn't matter what we feel. And it doesn't matter what we see. Our hope today is in your promises for us. Thank God we're not relying on a feeling. Thank God we're not relying on the fact that we have to see something to believe it. But we can hope, truly hope, in you because your promises. And that you will always be more than enough. In a world that is throwing all kinds of distractions and all kinds of things to pull us away from you, our attention away from you, you are enough for us. And that is a truth and a promise that we can live our lives by. So we just say thank you. Teach us something powerful about you today. Our hearts are open. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. As you're having a seat, it's it's great honor to say if you're a junior higher in the room, you can head out um, and head down those stairs, and the junior high gang will will help you get to where you need to go. It's fun to let them go do what they do. So give them a, a big, warm, we love you, all those things. They love that. They love that. Nothing's, nothing's awkward about that for them, right? Um, so we're in a new series and uh, loved where we've been these last five weeks, but super excited about where we're headed. And can I just say, and maybe I say this too much, maybe I don't, you tell me, but I think this will be a pivotal moment that we'll look back on as a church. This series on hope. The next seven weeks leading into Easter, we're going to talk about hope. Because I think we live in a world that doesn't understand it. And I think we often live in a church world that doesn't understand it. And so we're going to process it. We're going to dive in and figure out what that looks like to understand God's promises. And how should God's promises impact the way we hope. This is going to be good. Like This is, this is, this is an uplifting one. This is good news. Smile. I mean, there may be some moments that are like hit you right there and you're like, was that for me? Were you looking at me? And I, I probably was. I'm just kidding. That's usually God kind of awakening our heart and sharing something true. So if you would do this, I know I just sat you down, but one of the things that I love that we do, and we've just begun doing this, is stand for God's word. And we do this, so you can join me, we do this because it's really the most important thing we do here is read God's word. Amen. We worship him, that's important. Incredibly important. Prepares our hearts, I think, a lot of times because we come in not necessarily living what we're singing, right? But we get to sing it anyway. That's just who God is because it's what we want our hearts to be. But in this moment, we get to open God's word and let God speak to us. And I hope his words will always be more valuable than mine. And so we read his word and then we talk about it because it's important to us. Because we get to see God and it's important for us to see God. So if you would turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. And we're going to start reading in verse 9. I'm going to read, go a couple places, so we'll jump around a little bit. But starting in verse 9 of Hebrews chapter 6, the writer of Hebrews says this, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, and you still do. Isn't that good? as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Isn't that good? And then we go back to Romans chapter 4, and we'll start in verse 18. 
This is Paul speaking about Abraham. In hope, he, Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. God promised that. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced. I love that. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. And then we go back to Psalms, chapter 42, verse 5. These, why are you so downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. God thinks that we get to just hear from you today and you get to change and challenge our hearts. We are open, sometimes resistant. Sometimes not clear, but I pray, God, that you would break down the barriers that would keep us from hearing what a God who loves us wants to say. In your name we pray, amen. You can be seated. I think there's an issue in our culture today with hope, and I want to paint a picture, if I can, that you'll allow me to paint that, paint that we as a leadership, when I say leadership, our church, our elders, our staff, our members, feel it's true. And we can see it in the culture. And as I read this, maybe this will feel true for you. I don't know. But people in our community, we believe, are racing at full speed down a dead-end road. Their destination is success. A place they were promised would give them significance and make them happy. But this destination is a mirage. The pursuit of success have left them or us feeling empty, lost, and unfulfilled. Mental illness in our culture today is rampant. Substance abuse is at epidemic levels. And students are being launched on a trajectory to disappointment. And if I can stop for one second to highlight something that I said a few weeks ago during our stress series. That we live in a culture that tells its young people to go to school and get good grades so you can go to a good college, so you can get a good job, so you can make a lot of money, so you can be happy. And Dr. Zach Sakura listened to that message. He's a psychiatrist that deals with anxiety disorders. And he said, Dave, as I heard you say that, I have 10 teenagers a week coming to me dealing with this exact pressure. And guys, it's not that getting good grades is bad. We should give God our best. So if you're a, a young person in here, parents, you can elbow them. That's a good thing because that's honoring to God. And going to school to learn and grow is not a bad thing. It's when we do it for the sake of finding happiness in what we do or what we make as a result. It's just not the kingdom. It's not God's form of happiness. And it's interesting what's happening in our culture with this drive. Students are launched on a trajectory to disappointment. Marriages are in shambles. And families are too busy to realize they don't even talk anymore. These people aren't strangers to us. They're our friends. There are classmates, there are co-workers, and there are neighbors. And they may even be us. And the worst part of it all is that they don't have hope for anything better than what they've been told or sold. And yet we believe 
we believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. You believe that? I believe that. Jesus is the hope of the world. Matter of fact, Jesus, when he was with us before, after he had died and rose from the dead and he was with his disciples and he was about to leave in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he says this, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, I got to tell you, that covers it all. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he says this, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And lo, or yea, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. All the way through the Old Testament, God is promising his son because he's trying to bring his people back in relationship with him. And Jesus comes and he lives this life that we get to celebrate today. We get to model our lives after because it's who we're supposed to be in God. And he dies on a cross for our sins so we can be forgiven. How many of you have some sins that you're glad got forgiven? I mean, can we just put them all up for everybody to see? Right? It'd be like, hey, no, we're they're forgiven. Celebrate that. And then Jesus rises from the dead. He is our hope. And he doesn't just come to be with us in that moment. But he says, listen, I need you to do this. And I will be with you. You want to talk about a promise to bank your, your existence on? Here's one. You aren't doing it alone if you're following Jesus. He's with you. And his spirit resides within us. And man, that's incredible. That's like really good news. I'm going to get you excited before this morning's over. (laughs) The mission of the church is born in this moment. The hope giver. Let me put it to you this way. Jesus, the hope giver, planting his message of hope in us. His followers. Not to keep it. Not to hold on to it, not to have it for ourselves so we feel better, but to share it with the world. However, these days, anyway, the hope of the church doesn't look much different from the hope of this world. Our stories are pretty similar. We celebrate the difficulties of our life more than we celebrate the promises of God in our lives. The first thing out of our mouth is the bad things that are happening to us and through the good thing of Jesus that's happening to us. Because we've traded this hope for a different hope. And maybe we don't even know we've done it. That's why it's so important we talk about it. See, there's supposed to be a difference in the church and the world. Yeah, we're to be in the world, but not of the world. There's to be a difference. I don't know if you knew that. We live in a world that desperately needs this hope, and yet many of us sitting here desperately need this hope. You can't change your world, you simply reflect. We, I'll, I'll say, I'm, I, if you feel like I'm yelling at you, we can't change your world, we simply reflect. If we want to see this change, this world experience the hope of Jesus, which is a different hope than the world offers. And we're going to talk about that. If we want this world to experience the hope of Jesus that we have experienced, then we must first be changed by this hope. And we will never, ever influence what we reflect. So it begins with how we hope. How we hope is important. And that's where Psalms 42.5 comes in. Why, my soul, are you downcast? The psalmist is talking to himself. He's talking to his soul. 
Why are you downcast? Why are you discouraged? Why are you struggling? Why are you fearful? Why so downcast on my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. Easier said than done, but he's saying it. He's doing that. There must be power in the confessing of that. Put your hope in God. Hope in God. Now, I want you to hear this, and I may say it twice so you can get it, because I think this is where we go a lot of times. A lot of times, even in the church, even in the church, the people, a lot of times, our hope lies not in what we believe about God, but what we believe about ourselves. Fully unaware that belief in self outside a true understanding of God and who he is leaves us vulnerable to the promises of a world that simply can't keep its promises. Can't. Sometimes won't. The God of this age blinding the minds of those who don't believe and sometimes those who do but have areas of our heart where we don't. Because he's a father of lies. That's what he does. Speaks his native language when he lies. So promises are as reliable as the one who makes them. Aren't they? And if we're honest, it's safe to say that we all have been disappointed from time to time with people who say one thing and do another. How many of you can say that? You've had somebody say one thing and do another to you. Raise your hand. That's happened to you. Okay? It's funny. We all raise our hands. And the ones you don't, you're going, I'm not raising my hands because I'm about to implicate myself. It, 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 it happens. This is reality. People will disappoint you. That's a fact of life. But God will never disappoint you. Now, I know right away some of you got this, this ready to argue thing going. You didn't... God never disappointed me. You're darn right he's disappointed me. No, I'm telling you, God, maybe the God in your box disappointed you. But not the God of the universe who promises are his promises and who he says he is, he is, and what he says he does, he does. But the God that we put in our box and say, you've got to do it in this time and this way, and if you don't, therefore, you must not be God, and I'm disappointed in you. Maybe not that God, but that's not God, because he didn't ask to be put in your box or my box. We put him there. So if you're disappointed in God, it's not because God disappoints. Now, some of you just need to stop right there and you don't have to listen to the rest because that's where we find ourselves. Because we've had those arguments with God. The God of our box. See, the world in which we live is constantly changing, promising everything and delivering nothing. I often wonder why we're so committed to it. Nothing but detriment to our souls. Now, there's some good in there. There's some fun in there. God's not against us having fun and good. It's actually what he loves. He loves our good. But life is full of increasing uncertainty, difficulty, frustration, fears, and insecurity, especially today in the culture we live in. Life has proven over and over again that much of what we thought we could stand on. I want you just to go with me. Much of what we thought we could stand on, thought we knew, put our trust in, has proven to be unsure footing at best. And I could start naming things, not dependable, nor predictable. And in the midst of it all, God has made many promises to his people, and he has not, nor will he ever forget them. Aren't you glad God doesn't forget? How many of you forget? 
sometimes we actually forget the ones he's done for us. <laughs> Squirrel! <laughs> Hilarious. God is never too busy, and God doesn't lie. I went to a father-daughter dance last night. Uh, it was fathers and daughters. And the dads can dance. I mean, we can't at all. But we were dancing because none of the moms were there. It was like, you can look stupid. It didn't matter because you know, so you're just with the kids and we're all looking stupid. Sometimes in church, we just need to look stupid. Let the inside tell the outside what's going on. This is good stuff. God doesn't lie. Thank you. Numbers 23, 19 says this about God. God's not human. Right? We know human. God is not human that he should lie. Not, hum not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Rhetorical. Does he promise and not fulfill? Our hope lies in the truth that God is not human, that he should lie. God can be trusted. What are we trusting? And, I, and, I, and this, is where, this is where we begin to miss it as followers of Jesus and where our religion takes us a different path. What are we trusting? We're trusting that he is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. And not only has scripture proven that through Jesus and a lot of other things, but he's proven it in many of our lives. And if we journaled better, or at all, we could go back and read them. Like revisiting that altar moment when God did something huge. It's true. We can trust. We need to re redo on our definition of hope. I've come to that conclusion. A realignment, if you will. Understanding hope is crucial not only to your spiritual journey, but to our journey as a church. I'm telling you, I think we'll look back on this series and realize it was a turning point for us as a church in so many ways. For you as an individual, I think it's a missing piece that helps us understand why we do what we do. So hope in God. It's not typical hope. Hope in God is not typical hope. I think we hope in the wrong things. I think we hope in people who disappoint us and let us down. I let you down. We let each other down. I think we hope in things. I, ho I think we hope in beliefs that aren't God's belief. I think we hope in thoughts and thinking that isn't, our th it isn't God's thinking, it's our thinking. I think we hope in success that we've defined or the world has defined. I think we hope in the wrong things. Without this understanding of hope and how it works, our souls become downcast. And we see in this psalm the need to preach hope to ourselves. The psalmist wrestled and fought and struggled to maintain their hope in God. So should we. Not our hope in things. Not our hope in people. Our hope in God, that we fight and that we wrestle to maintain that because it would be easy if we don't for our soul to become downcast and begin to buy into the wrong things to hope for or hope in. Hoping in God does not come natural for us and what doesn't come natural must come what? Intentional. 
We have to own this or else we grow accustomed to the world's hope. And I watch it happen in the church all the time. When we don't understand God's hope and how God's hope works in our lives, we sell out to a lesser hope, a lame hope, a hope that isn't real. Thank you. To be intentional about hope, I think we have to understand what it is, don't we? You've been dying to find out if you don't already know. And I assume some of us do. Here's what hope is. And let's first be underwhelmed by Webster's definition of hope. Because I think that's exactly what, you, what it is. Hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. Webster. Doesn't matter what I feel. Doesn't matter what I see, right? A feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. A wishy-washy maybe or a kind of unsure optimism. The modern idea of hope is to wish for, but without certainty of the fulfillment, to desire something very much, but with no real assurance of getting your desire. That's worldly hope. We speak of hope in many different ways. Let me give you some examples. I hope we get out of here on time, some of you are thinking. <laughs> I know. I get it. You're checking the clock. That's why we have zeros back there. You just don't even know. You're like, I got a phone. I know that too. I see it. <laughs> it's our hope that everyone would arrive here safely this morning in this snowstorm because we're expecting you. Everybody's coming. We don't want you in a ditch. We hope you get here. A couple weeks ago, I think some of you procrastinated and didn't pray at the right timing, and so we got the snow two weeks later. <laughs> and yes, I'm bitter. <laughs> we threw a celebration that we needed to have sledding. There was no snow to sled. And so snow on the ground is our only hope for going sledding. That was what we were feeling in that moment. We really wanted to go. And when we think of biblical hope, and I hope you understand this and get this, we have to almost think the opposite of what I just said. And when I say opposite, I'm not talking about desiring something bad over something good. That's not what I'm talking about. Opposite in the sense that we typically express hope in terms of uncertainty instead of certainty. This is a game changer. This has been a game changer in my life. I hope we get out of here on time means I don't have any real certainty that Dave will get us out of here on time. Typically doesn't. I just desire that. Some of you are like, no, talk all you want. That's why I do, because you say so. It's our hope that everyone will arrive here safely this morning means we don't know if everyone will, will, but it's definitely our desire that everyone gets here safely. We don't want anybody to be in the ditch. We want everybody to be here safely because they chose to come. It's a miracle that you're here. It's awesome. Snow on the ground is our only hope for sledding. Simply means snow on the ground would help us accomplish our desired goal to go sledding, but we can't be sure it will snow. Wasted hope. This kind of hope is wasteful energy. It's uncertainty at best. Most of the time when we talk about hope, we're talking about it with uncertainty, and that's not biblical. That's not what God is talking about when he talks about hope. That's not what the, writer of the writers of the Bible are talking about when they talk about hope. It's not what Jesus is talking about. It's not what Paul is talking about. It's not what Peter is talking about. It's not what the psalmists are talking about. Are you with me? 
Biblical hope expects something to happen. Biblical hope takes us from a simple desire for something good in the future to a confident expectation of desiring something good in the future. Biblical hope expects it to happen. And and not just expects it to happen, but confident it will happen. This is really good stuff. When, When the Bible says hope in God, it doesn't mean cross your fingers. It means expect great things. Because it's promised by God. And it doesn't mean that all promises in the Bible are for us. But boy, there is a lot that are. And our hope is in them. And so it becomes a detriment to your hope and to your relationship with Jesus when you don't even know them. When we don't even know them. When the Bible says hope in God, biblical hope, it's certainty. It's a strong, confident expectation. And so in Hebrews 6, after warning his readers in the, in the verses that were before that, that it's actually possible to have an incredible religious encounter or experience with Jesus and yet still abandon your faith, even going past the point of no return, because a lot of times our religion doesn't change our heart. And so it's real easy when other hope, when, when, when worldly hope isn't being met to go find our first love somewhere else instead of in the God whose promises are true and our hope can be real in But the Hebrew writer says this in verses 9 through 12, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Things that belong to salvation. We're seeing some things here that show that Jesus showed up in your life. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. You haven't stopped. You're still going. And we desire each of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. There are promises to be inherited by God's kids. (laughs) Don't you want to know them? It's important to note that the writer of Hebrews has separated his readers from those who have exchanged their biblical hope for a worldly hope by saying... You not only have been loving servants for God, but you're still serving. You haven't got caught up in serving yourself. You haven't got caught up in status. You haven't got up in seeking the world's approval. You haven't got up in finding your identity somewhere else. You're serving God, and you're loving God, and you keep on going even when it's tough. And that good. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. You've shown your love for God through your love for others in the past, and you're still doing it. The best way you can show you love God is love his people. Love people as you still do. It's perseverance. Your religious experience was not a passing phase, he's saying. And how do we know? Because it's still happening in you. How many of you have those times where, man, you just feel like you're totally missing it, but you keep going? And a lot of times the reason you keep going is because you have hope and a promise. And maybe sometimes we forget and sometimes we don't, but it is God and Jesus that keeps us going because he's with us. Perseverance is godly. Perseverance in godliness is the proof of the genuineness of a person's salvation. That we keep going is proof that God has showed up in Jesus. And so verse 11 and 12 comes the challenge. I hope we get this. He's saying, don't slip. Don't let your guard down. Battle hard. How? How do you battle hard? How do you stand up in difficult times? How do you live this relationship with Jesus? You live it with hope. 
You battle the difficulties and the temptation with hope because you've been given a promise. You've been given many promises. Boy, the God who started a good work in you, he will be faithful until it's completed. So don't give up. How many of you are work in progress? But if you're a follower of Jesus, it's, it's a progress. It's a promise. Keep on pursuing the full assurance of hope. The full assurance of hope. Confident hope. Not wishful thinking hope that hopes Sean White wins another gold. Because I do. Certain hope. And you got to keep your hope tank full. Because life's going to throw some things at you. And if your hope tank isn't full, then we're tempted to reach for something different. Reach for someone else. Reach for something else. Instead of reaching within. Like the psalmist said, why so downcast? Put your hope in God. And you fill up that tank with the promises of God. So when you're in a difficulty, you can pull the promise out and say, I know it's difficult right now, but greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And he promised he would never leave me nor forsake me so he knows exactly where I am and what I'm going through. Because it's true. You find yourself in one of three places and the guys will make fun of me because I say it all the time. You're either going into the storm, in the middle of a storm, or on your way out of storm. So stop crying about the storms. Storms are a part of life, but if Jesus is with you in the storm, don't wake him up. Trust him. It's a better ride. Keep your hope tank full. Why? What's the outcome of going hard after a full assurance of hope? It's described in verse 11. That's described. Verse 12 says the result of that pursuit of hope, and get this, is that you will be like those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. Why? Why stay strong in hope, our assurance of hope? Because we'll be like those who inherited the promises. Hope and faith are so connected, guys. Hope is something that should not waver because it's rooted in the faithfulness of God. God can never be unfaithful because he is faithful. And it's true. Hebrews 10, 22 and 23 says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. We just got to talking about full assurance of hope, a full assurance of faith. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Just woke some of you up. Man, that is so good. Hope can be certain because the God who promised is faithful. There is faith for today and hope is how we exercise our future faith. We hope. We don't fear the future. We hope. For the future, because the future is not ours, it's God's. And we trust Him that He said He's taking care of it. And He gets to the future before we do. There is faith for today, and hope is how we exercise. That's why Hebrews 11 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. One of the best ways to exercise your faith is to have full assurance of hope, certainty. It's the best way to exercise your faith. And when we have full assurance of hope because of God's promises, we are exercising that faith. Faith is the full assurance of hope. Now, faith is more than hope, but it includes hope. And we see this lived out in the Old Testament through Abraham. And I want you to hear this because this is good. Paul shares this truth with us in Romans chapter 4, verse 18, talking about Abraham. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old when he had Isaac. But listen to me. 
He wasn't just 100. He was 75 when he was first given the promise. I'm telling you, sometimes we expect God to answer us in our timing, but it's not always our timing. But we'll often forget about the promise and do our own thing and try to make our own way. And Abraham did that too. Because he forgot. But it also carried him in times when it needed to carry him, the promises of God. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No, unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. What gave him faith in the future work of God? Verse 21 makes it crystal clear. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. Are you fully convinced today that God is able to do what he promised? Because if you are, your hope will grow. And if you are, you will go find every promise and you'll hold to him. And not your timing, but God's. Because he who is faithful will sustain you. And so, simply put, he had what Hebrews 6.11 would call full assurance of hope. He had certainty in hope. He believed against hope. And I don't know if you've ever read that and wondered what that means, but against hope means that from the ordinary human standpoint, there was no hope. And Abraham was was too old to have a child, and his wife was barren. But biblical hope is never based on what is possible with man or impossible with man. It's based on what is possible with God. That's what biblical hope is based on. And God's saying, you're going to have a kid. And guess what? At the age of 100, they had a kid. Why? Because God said they would. And here's a powerful truth, and I want you to get this, because as Isaac grew up and got older, God comes back. Has the blessing become more important than the blesser? Have we put our hope in the blessing instead of the blesser? And so God goes, I want you to take your son Isaac, and I want you to take him and sacrifice him. Hold on a second, God. You gave me a promise. Do we hear that dialogue? No, what we hear is Abraham go, okay, why? Because he had a promise. And he had hope in that promise. And so in that promise, he takes Isaac to that mountain to sacrifice him, believing that the God who promised would come through. And God seeing his heart that it was more for the blesser and not the blessing, spared Isaac. Man, I'm telling you. It's powerful when you understand God's promises. Biblical hope looks away from man to the promise of God, and when it does, it becomes the full assurance of hope, the expectation of great things from God. Abraham's faith was seen in his strong confidence in God's word. Abraham's hope was his confidence in the fulfillment of God's promise. However that would look, God would follow through. How's your hope tank? What fills it is knowing and trusting the promises of God. Knowing and trusting and celebrating the promises of God. See, I think the greatest sin that we encounter in our own lives is the sin of forgetfulness. I think sometimes the issue isn't that we don't know the promises, it's we've forgotten when God has shown up and fulfilled them. It's why you'll see all through the Old Testament, the writers of the Old Testament would go back and they would build an altar to the Lord to remember what God had done, and they would name that place. And it's important that we remember, because if you go all the way back to the garden with Adam and Eve, and I want you to get this and understand this. Adam and Eve are in the garden. They're God's kids, created in his image, after his likeness. Here they are, God's kids, walking with God. And the Satan shows up and plants the first lie of humanity, and is, listen, God doesn't want you to be like him. 
Who are they like? God. Sometimes we forget God. We forget who we are. And a lot of times in that forgetting, we hold on to false hope instead of the promise that we've been given to go after God. Well, how many of you here would say that I've been, I've experienced the promises of God fulfilled in my life? And you have a story to tell. It's the only thing that makes our story different than the world's. It's not that something good happened to you. Good things happen to people. It's that good things happen to you because God said they would. When you share that story, it changes things. Because a lot of times the promise shows up in the moment of the impossible. And God comes through. So you tell that story. See, we dream, when I say we, people who call this place home, our leaders, our staff, our membership, we dream about becoming an oasis of hope in our community where people are headed towards a mirage of success and the weight that that carries. A place where those who have been burned out and broken in the pursuit of success can find rest and healing. What if the people in our community, in our neighborhoods, could find their significance not in what they do, but who they are? Children dearly loved by God with an invitation to know him through Jesus. And what if when we understand the hope we have because of God's promises, we become people who are that oasis to those who have no hope. This is huge. Hope in God. I'll tell you a quick story. Close out our time. I'm going to challenge us to do something with this. Because for the next seven weeks, we're going to talk about seven really big promises that God has for us. We're going to start there. We're going to do something else to help you discover the promises. But something happened in Natalie and I's life. But I want to illustrate how this works. And it doesn't always work the same, and it doesn't work the same for everybody. God has his way and his time. But it, it's truth. This last year, we came to a place in our financial journey, as many of you do and have when you live in the suburbs of Chicago, where we were struggling. We've opened up our budget to people we trust who are weighing in and saying, here's where you can cut and here's where you can do better. We tithe to the church 10%, and we try to give above and beyond that. My wife is way more giving than I am. And so we're living in that. We're doing that. And found ourselves as a couple in a really tough financial place where we're falling behind. Weren't going to be able to celebrate Christmas. I know that may not seem like a big deal, but father of four kids is kind of a big deal. And we had to sit down and process that with our kids. We're probably not going to be able to do Christmas this year. And We started praying because the knee-jerk reaction would be to try to somehow, outside of what God had called us already to do, and we felt like we were doing everything he'd asked. Natalie's given her heart to the women's ministry of this church and super excited for how he's using her and being a pastor. And we started talking about, do we go out and get other jobs and use other giftings and talents to try to make up for this? And in our human thinking, we do that, don't we? Put more stress on the family, more stress on relationship, or do we just put this in God's hands because... He supplies our needs according to his riches and glory. That's a promise. 
his riches, his glory. And so we just start praying as a family, tearfully, with our kids, without our kids, in the car, whenever. God, you know the need. You know what, what needs to happen. If it's two jobs, fine, we'll start figuring that out. But we're trusting you. And there's a couple weeks into that, crunch time, at least in our time, I got a call from a friend, doesn't go here, and he said, God put you and your family on my heart, and we want to bless you. And it was just enough to catch us up, be able to do Christmas and a little bit more, processing how we give some of that away. Now, not for everybody. Some of you are sitting here going, okay, I'm going to try that. Just saying our story. But that's a God story because we couldn't do it. That's all, that's all God. And somebody being open to what God might be saying. And just simply saying, I hope. And you know what? As we prayed, there's just a peace. God's got it. And if he does it, we'll figure it out. That's what he wants to do for us. And so how many in this room would say, you know what? I could, I could learn more of the promises of God. I could understand those a little better. How many of you would say I could rely on the promises of God a little more than I do? How many believe with everything you have that our hope could be in a lot more than what it is? It could be in God and nothing else because we have those. And so God, just in this moment, I pray that you would help us process just this next step of our journey as a church and what we're going to do through this season of Lent. And I pray, God, that this would be a huge transformation in our hearts as individuals for those willing to take the journey, to discover you, to discover the hope that is in you because of your promises. I pray you would awaken hearts and lives to the story of God that is being told all over this world and that we would see our stories collide with the greatest story ever told, that is being told and will continue to be told whether we follow you or not, but we want to follow you with hope not of the world, but of the Bible, of your hope of God. Holy Spirit, come and convict and challenge and fill us and bring peace in Jesus' name. The last thing I would say before Renee comes is this. There's a religious holiday coming up. A lot of times I'm saying religious because a lot of times that's all it becomes is religious. It's Lent. Ash Wednesday starts on Valentine's Day. But for us, this is actually a spiritual thing. That on Wednesday starts a time of preparing for what is coming at Easter, the celebration that Jesus died and rose again. We have hope. And what better way to prepare our hearts through these 40 days of praying and fasting than to focus on the promises of God and the hope that he is in our lives and filling up our hope tank. And so here's the challenge. This 40-day season from Ash Wednesday all the way to Easter, we're going to fast as a church. We're going to fast and pray. We pray here every Sunday morning at 7.30 to 8.30. We're going to be praying throughout this time together and as individuals. But I would challenge, as the Bible says, Jesus said, when you fast, if you fast, when you fast. There's actually something powerful about fasting, which is doing away with something or not eating something or not having something so that you can have more of something else. It's a sacrifice so that God can show up in ways that He wants to. And there are people in this season that they'll fast food 40 days. 
you need God to lead you in that. There's some that will fast for a week. They'll fast a little bit. They'll fast a meal a day. But other people will fast other things. I just got done with a 40-day sugar fast. Woo, it was awesome. I feel better. But bigger than that, there was a spiritual awakening in that process. And so I'm going to be fasting some other things as well. Maybe it's technology. Maybe it's TV. Maybe it's food. Maybe it's Facebook. What could you put aside for 40 days so you can focus more on God? If we do that as a church, what might happen? And I would challenge you to go to the different places where we stream our information, the Facebook, Instagram, website, and we're going to be throwing up a promise a day for those 40 days for you to focus on. Because as a church, we need hope. We need God to fill us with his hope so we can be a hope to this world through Jesus. It's what we want. It's what we need. I don't want to just do church. I want to be the church. And so let's see what God will do as we set some things aside so we can have more of him. I'll bet he'll do something big. Be led by God's spirit and what that looks like and then do it and see what happens.